0: Good morning, South Penn. Um, greetings from the team at, at Everyday People. They they love releasing us too much sometimes, um, but we pray for you. We love seeing and following your journey, what God is doing through you, here in in the peninsula. And I'm just I want to just st- quickly just thank Luke and Lauren. Um, I saw Mike and Megan sneak in on sabbatical to be here. Please do not give them any pastoral work to do. Um, <laughs> Mike, it's so cool that you guys are here, and Megs, and Pete and Vivian, thank you for the privilege of inviting Claire to be part of this day with you guys. It's a really big honor for us. This is a hugely significant moment for any church. The highest authority that God gives to a man over his bride is an elder. Did you know that? Eldership sits in, in God's Word. There's no higher authority that the Father could give than saying to someone, elder, shepherd my flock. What an incredible privilege. And I... And Luke and the others have been journeying with Pete. And Pete, where's Annabelle? There we go. She's just a bit better looking than you, Pete. So it helps. Um, And so I'm going to just turn your attention to Hebrews 13 um, 7. And my focus really is on you guys um, this morning and for us as the church. And we want to put the weight of scripture on what's happening this morning. Hebrews 13, verse 7. Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Not just their wisdom, not just what they think, God's word. Consider the outcome of their, their way of life and imitate their faith. What an incredible responsibility. When an elder stands up and says, our elder, or the church appoints, or God appoints elders over the church, there's an invitation for us to imitate this couple. What an incredible blessing, but also responsibility. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever and this beautiful through the ages churches like us today have come to the place where they've recognized God's gift God's God's life that be that's worth imitating the love for Christ and appointed and and set in place elders to shepherd and and, and father the flock of Christ 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 seven verses and it's just worthy. Really, I really want us to just hear God's word over this moment this morning the saying is trustworthy For, in, for if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will they care for God's church? Luke spoke earlier that we are a family. Elders are fathers in the household of God. He must not be, re, he must not be a recent convert, and he may, may become, or he may become cough, puffed up and conceit, and with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders. This is interesting. What's interesting is when we appoint elders, it's not just what does the church think, what does the city think, what is his reputation in the marketplace, what do the people that works with him think about him, etc. So I know Luke and they've done this. We do this with with that come through through the ranks. We'll speak to people that work with him. What's he like at work? What is he like when we not when he's not at church or not when the light spotlight's not on him? So that he, that he may be not fall into disgrace into the snare of the devil. What a passage, hey, for elders. And we, and I know that we've processed this journey with Peter and Annabel, And we're looking for what we're looking for in the scripture, and that Timothy writes and the writer of Hebrew writes, is evidence of the gospel of a Peter and Annabel's life. Maturity, um, maturity and, trans- and, and traction to those that God's called. God's called us, are mature in Christ, and are these the people that God is calling me to serve and lay down my life? There needs to be attraction, there needs to be a heart for this community. Why? Because in Hebrews 13, 7, it says this, we're to Im- imitate their faith and how they lead their lives. This is, this is what, what we should aspire to. You and I should all aspire that others would follow us. As a Christ follower, there should be something in each one of us to go, I hope others can follow my example as I follow Christ. There should be something in us to go, I want to live a life following Christ in such a beautiful way that others would, would tee up behind me going, I want to be like that. Not like honor, but like the Christ that honor follows. And today we are witness of Jesus' ongoing faithful work in his church. He's still building his church, and he builds his church by setting in place elders over and in his church. After the resurrection, Christ came some to be apostles, pastors, and teachers. For 2,000 years plus now, we've seen the church build and Christ add gifts to the church. Elders are gifts to the church. Peter and Annabelle is a gift to this eldership team, but also to you as a community, and to us as the wider church. And so today we stand on an ancient, ancient tradition. This is, can you just imagine the early church in Jerusalem? Can you imagine the early church through the centuries, all over the globe, in, 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 in Western, in, in third world countries, in, in unreached groups where the church is planted, they've been doing this for centuries before us, appointing and, and, and laying hands on elders. Peter and Annabelle, we've, we've got to know you both, Clay and I, um, you've tucked kept into our hearts quickly. And Luke has created very w- wisely with Lauren opportunities for us to have meals and to spend time together. And we've grown to love you both, know you, we've recognized your witness of your lives and your faith. Just how you live out your faith stands out for us. And more than that, many in this community, more importantly, many in this community have witnessed your progress, your maturity, and a clear call of God's leadership over your life. That's significant for today. Pete, as the elder that we are appointing this morning and setting apart for the welfare of the church, there's a few things I just want to read for you. Elders, pastors, they are given; they are to give themselves to the watchful care of God's flock and pastoral concern of the city. I love that. It's not just for us, but it's also for the wider. When we were worshipping, there was something that God started laying on my heart for you as a church around mission and why he's got you in South Bend. Um And we'll share that with the elders later. They're they're called in plurality of team to equip this community of faith to live in harmony with God's Word and to ensure that the Word of God is rightly proclaimed and taught. They are to serve impartially with sound counsel, comfort, and encouragement. They are to lead with humility and gentleness. They are to bring good news to the poor and righteousness to the nations. In team, they are to steward the resources, gifts, and opportunities that God bestows upon this church. What an incredible call for you, Pete. And before God Almighty today and before this congregation, I'm going to, I'm going to charge Pete, and, and I'm going to, we're going to ask him to make some commitments, and we're going to do so with Pete, but also with Pete going, with yes, with the, God of, with the help of God can I only do this, as much of our Christian life is. So, Pete, I'm going to charge you. Do you confess with us and God's church throughout the ages your faith in the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? I do. Can you all hear that? Pete, as an elder, will you joyfully, diligently study God's word, sacrificially oversee the household of faith, encourage spiritual growth, maintain loving discipline, pursue the proclamation of the gospel, and affirm the sacraments? With
1: God's help, I will.
0: With God's help, you will, and you will need God's help for all those things. Pete, will you now promise, according to Hebrews thirteen seven and Seventeen to lead a life worthy of of limitation, of imitation, to joyfully watch over the souls of this flock, as one as one who will, uh, as one sorry as one with give a joint account for each of them to God.
1: God's help, I will.
0: Annabelle, you're not just here to look pretty. <laughs> we just want to. We just I know how important Claire is to my. Eldering, I know what she brings to our church and what a gift she is to us. So Annabel, I want to charge you too for this church. Do you also confess with us God's church throughout the age and God's church throughout the age, your faith in the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? As you serve alongside Pete, will you receive the corresponding grace of God as a joint heir of the gracious gift of life? Will you courageously exercise your gifts... Add your voice and your wisdom as a mother to, fl- to a flourishing to flourishing to, of this family of faith as you serve alongside your husband. <laughs> Beautiful. South Bend, I'm gonna charge you. And I'd love you to respond with God's help, we will too. South Bend, yes, your charge. By receiving these precious gifts, it's getting very emotional up here. It's not just the heat. South Bend, by receiving these gifts in the body, South Bend Congregation commits itself to being open towards these gifts. We will receive these gifts from Christ today, and will, and will you respect their call, their role, and make their leadership a joy from this day forward? Beautiful. I'm going to invite the current eldership team to come forward. i have asked Luke to charge Peter and Annabelle, and then we are going to lay hands.
1: Even the sabbatical elders can just stand and look pretty. (laughs) Stand next to you, man. Sweet, man. So I want to read Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read it to you guys, just echoing what Arno has shared here. Ephesians 4, this is Christ. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers... To equip the saints for the work of ministry. Guys, give your lives to equipping the saints for the work of ministry. For building up of the body of Christ. We spend our lives building up this body of Christ. Until we attain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Grow us in our knowledge of Christ and our unity of the faith. To mature manhood to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Peter and Annabelle, to to commission you to invest your time and your your lives into this community as best you can to see this flock flourish in the fullness of Christ. That's what we do, that we would be able to one day stand before Christ, one day you and I alongside each other, and we will stand before Jesus knowing that we plowed our lives into uh, this family, knowing that we did everything we could to see every Christ follower grow in their maturity and Christ-likeness. It's a privilege to be able to do this alongside you. This is what we do together. Can we pray for you? Yeah. Cool. I know uh, Pete and Annabelle's life group are here as well. I wonder if we can squeeze a few more up front. Why not? <laughs> Why is this so important, let's guys, get Because busy. none of us as none of us as Christ followers, none of us as leaders, are these independent mavericks. Our lives are are knitted into our community. We're mothers and fathers who live alongside brothers and sisters in our faith, and that's how we do this. And so, 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 it's just beautiful to have you guys with us, eh? How How would you like us to proceed? Shall we pray, or should you? I'd love to pray. Perfect. And then you go. Perfect.
0: Cool. Let's pray. We can do this Bluetooth blessing, if that's okay, if you're comfortable with that. Lord Jesus, thank you for, for Pete, for his life. Thank you for Annabelle, um, just in how you have raised this couple in this church. Thank you that no man ordains elders, but those, this is your call on their life that they're obeying. We just want to recognize, Lord Jesus, your gift that they are to this church. We thank you that you, get, that you give incredibly beautiful gifts to your church to see her flourish, to grow, to equip her for the works of ministry so the church can can be a ministry to the city, Father God, and to this region. Lord, I pray your incredible blessing. I pray that you would that you would prosper this couple, that you would protect them, Father God, that you would lead them clearly, Father God, that you would that you would explode their gifting. I pray that their gifting would 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 step into a new gear from this day forward, Father God. We pray as a church that we would be a joy to lead. Peter and Annabelle, that they would they would wake up in the morning with a spring in their step with the joy that it is. We pray for the hard times that will come in eldering, the tough conversations, that it would be seasoned with your truth and your grace as they shepherd. Um, Peter and Annabelle, just really, we just know your heart to shepherd folks so well. Um, and. And that stickiness that Claire spoke to in the early prayer meeting, that there would be a stickiness to the words that you even speak over people. Yes. That when you speak and share love and you share the gospel, that somehow it will just stick to their hearts and God would do an, a profound work in them. Lord, we bless you. We ask that you would make your face to shine upon them and would you bless them from this day forward. We, we receive these gifts as a church as, as a gift from your hand, Father God. We thank you for this.
1: Father, we bring Peter and Annabel before you. We yeah. thank you for the privilege as a church mm. that you would send us such extraordinary people, Lord Jesus. Mm. We know Christ. You are the head mm. of our church. You know exactly what we need as a people. And you have seen fit to provide these extraordinary lives into this community. Jesus, we first and foremost want to say we're so grateful mm. for your provision over our lives. We thank you that you feed us and you nourish us and you care for us as a church. And God, we in faith as a church want to ask your blessing over Mm. Peter and Annabelle, Lord Jesus, as they they put their hands up to say, God, you've called us. We've heard your call, and mm. Jesus, you've laid this people on our hearts. We want to plow our lives into this people. God, would you bless them? Would you lead them? Would you, Holy Spirit, be near to them, that they would wake up with a sense of your voice leading them and guiding them, God? You would, they would have your truth in their hearts, able to speak it in our context. God, we pray for godly wisdom to pervade their thinking as they uh, share in elders meetings and as we 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 do our best to steward the life that you put into us as a church lord jesus may your wisdom permeate their thinking lord jesus we ask that you would uh, you would keep growing their hearts toward this people lord jesus and growing their hearts toward you jesus we're so grateful christ but we pray that you would empower and anoint them now, Lord Jesus. As we lay hands on them together, we pray your anointing over them to serve you in this way, Jesus. We thank you, Lord.
0: We are allowed to clap. Southpane, receive your gifts.
1: <laughs> yeah.
0: sip of water before. It feels like we have to change gears now here. Oh sorry. Morning South Ben again. Um I've been I've had this word that I've been wanting to preach yeah for quite a while actually Um, And I want to speak this morning to you around a gospel strong enough to curve our inward-bent hearts towards Christ. A gospel so powerful that it will turn our our inwardly-bent hearts towards Jesus. Um, I think if you're a Christ follower this morning, you would recognize that there are moments in your walk with Christ where, where you are struggling to obey Christ, where you where following Christ is not always easy and straightforward, um, and then the, the, we struggle to even deal with the acceptance and us and our approval and our security, and we struggle to find all those things always in Christ. And as a pastor, um, I'm trying to think how long I've been pastoring for. We've been at every day for 17 years, and about 10 or 12 years before that we were in ministry. Um, and what, what surprises me so often is how... How reluctant the churches or Christ followers are to acknowledge their struggle spiritually. I don't know if you found that. I'm sure if you lead a life group, it's, sometimes it's like to get your life group to be honest about where they are with Christ or that they, that whether they're battling or struggling in faith, it, it's not always straightforward and easy. It takes, sometimes it takes a few meals to do that or a lot of conversations to do that. But there's something in us that seems to be nervous in acknowledging that, that, that following Jesus is not always straightforward. It's not, not always easy. And if you're, a, if you're not a Christ follower this morning and you're in church, this is something that you can identify with, with us, that they are following Christ, is, is that there is this battle. You, you might be saying, I'm not even following Christ. I'm not sure I want to follow Christ. Um, it just sounds like too much for me. I can't get there. Do you know what, as a Christ follower, we also feel that sometimes? Like what Christ calls to is just too much. I can't get there. I, I can't quite live up to everything that he's called me to and how do we respond to these things there are two ways that we tend to respond when we when we when we don't face those those realities or those challenges in our hearts the first response is we pretend we pretend everything is good. We we get to life group, we get to our friendship circles, and we pretend that everything is good. My faith is strong. I'm strong. I'm doing well. Marriage is good. Business is good. Life is good. Um, I don't know if you if you if you get what I'm saying there. But the temptation is to, to live a life of pretense, or the other temptation is to live a life of performance. If I just do enough, I'll I'll earn my way better. I'll make myself get better. I'll, if I tick these boxes, it's going to be better. I'll get closer to God. And I want to introduce you to language that was used in the early early church that um, Augustine, so if you're new to church, Augustine was one of the great, great church fathers um, in the early church. And then Luther also used this terminology. Luther was the great reformer on the 31st of October. We, we all celebrated Reformation Day. I know there's another holiday on that day, but for many Christians, it's Reformation Day. It's the day where he took the 95 Theses, and he, and he knocked it on the door, and he nailed it to the door. And the church changed, and the gospel became, became central to the church again. And today we're going to read about Apostle Paul writing and wrestling and penning very, very similar thoughts to to both Augustine and Luther. And he has the terminology that they used. The term is homo incurvatus in C. It's Latin. It literally means human hearts curved inward on itself. The way that Luther and Augustine spoke about sin or our rebellion against Christ is they use the terminology that our hearts are literally turned inwards. It's turned in on itself. We look, to, we look to save ourselves. We look to satisfy ourselves. We look to ourselves as our own saviors. And we look to ourselves for our, for our future and for our hope. And Luther and Augustine were very strong in this in saying, the only power that can help you turn towards Christ for, for salvation or for your hope is the gospel. Is the gospel that comes with power, the, the Holy Spirit in us. You and I as Christ followers... We'll fight this inward curved heart until the day that Christ returns. This will be a fight and a battle for us. We we need to find a peace and a, a hope and a joy that 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 God is taking ground in my heart every single day of my life. There is a battle, my I have not Christ is not done with me yet. Isn't that hopeful? I hope you, that brings a smile to your face. You go, whew, maybe you're thinking of your husband. You're going, wow, I'm so glad that Christ is not done with him yet. The good news is, wives, that Christ is not done with you either. So we both live in marriage with Christ is not done with us yet. And we have hope in that. We don't have hope in our husband always just doing the right things and being the right things. Marriage is a beautiful thing, isn't it? It exposes just our inability to always be perfect or be, or do the right thing. We can't even get the toilet seat or the toothpaste right. <laughs> now you wanna talk about sanctification and always being spiritual and holy and always doing the right thing in God's eyes. Our human nature shows us that actually, we are more inwardly curved than we ever, ever admit. And we're gonna read a beautiful passage in scripture that Paul's gonna give us. And before we go there, in the early days of social media, um, I'm still I'm 50, so that means yeah I still I still have a Facebook profile, I still have a Facebook profile, not so active anymore. But Instagram is the thing now I hear, and WhatsApp's the big thing now I hear. Um, but have you ever read a post where one of your friends have had a really bad day, feeling bad about a relationship or something, and they just spilled their guts on Facebook or on Instagram or WhatsApp, and you read the post and you have two responses in your heart. You're going oh, you better delete quickly. Do you, do you really want the whole world to know how you just enjoyed or did not enjoy that encounter or your friend or how you feel about this relationship? You go, wow, please delete. Take that off the, the internet. And you have another response that says, I'm not the only one. There's something in us are going, oh, I know that shouldn't be out there in social media. And for everybody you see, but I can identify with some of that hurt or some of that frustration that you've just expressed there. Luke does, what? Me too. too. What do you mean, me too? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a, we live in a, I call it an REM world. REM has a song where they say, it's been a bad day. Please don't take a picture in their song. We live in a world where even as Christ follows, when we secure and we know Jesus... When we have a bad day, we hope no one saw that. We hope no one records it. We hope that the camera wasn't on. We hope no one had their video or the voice notes recording the conversation we just had. And we walk away going, what have I just said? What have I just done? Please don't record this. And we're going to read a passage this morning that many theologians struggle with Answering, why did Paul leave that? Why did he not delete that? He knew that this passage was going to go to many churches. He knew that he was an authority, and an, an authoritative figure in the church, that many would read this and, and expound this. And we're going to read this passage together as a church. Now, if you, do, if you knew the church, who was Paul? Paul was most probably the greatest church planter in history. He was the original leader of the movement. He, he, he was the original Um, father of the church in the early church. He was the greatest missionary known in Christian history. Paul endured countless beatings, imprisonments, persecutions for the sake of Christ. And Paul even gave his own life under Nero and sacrificed his life for the gospel. This is, Paul is a giant. He's planted more churches than anybody we know. He's led more churches. He's influenced Christendom more so than anybody else. And then we get to Romans 7, the last part of Romans 7, and this same, I want you to remember who this Paul is, and then he writes Romans seven for us, and he doesn't delete or take it away. he deliberately leaves it for us, the church. So would you turn in your Bibles um, to Romans 7:17? 7, and we're going to read together. Romans 7:17. 7, so now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. Please remember who's writing, church leader par excellence, church planter par excellence. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. Anybody can say yes to that. For I do not do, I, I do, not do the good I want, but I do the evil that I do not want to do, and I keep doing it. Now if I do, do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but it is sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do the right, evil lies close at hand. The language evil lies close at hand hand, that Paul's using here for us is that evil ambushes me. It's like I'm walking and it's almost like I walk around the corner and it can't wait to get to me. It can't wait to tempt me. It can't wait for and and I say yes to it too easily. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being. But I see in my members, he's talking about his flesh, his body, another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Verse 24, I think Paul gets to his low point. He goes, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Calvin says in that sentence, Paul is asking God to take his life rather and live with a struggle between this flesh and the spirit. And then, verse 25: Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, I myself serve the law, but with God in my mind, but my flesh serves the law of sin. Verse 1 in chapter 8, let's continue as Paul writes, There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the, law of sin of, for, the, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by flesh could not do, by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh for our sin, He condemned sin in, a, in the flesh." Can we pray together? Lord Jesus, thank you for all of Scripture. Thank you for Paul, that you used Paul in his writing. Thank you for this piece of Scripture that when we read it, we can so easily identify with. Thank you that it wasn't not included in Scripture. And I pray that this would point us towards you, Jesus. Just as Paul, in verse 25 and onwards, starts gazing towards Christ and the beauty of the gospel... I pray that this morning we would be encouraged and we would be helped by you, Holy Spirit, to gaze upon Christ and everything that you've accomplished for us in, on the cross. In Jesus' name, amen. <coughs> Remembering who Paul is, and you read this passage, I sat with a gentleman that wanted to discuss this passage with me. A Christian mature gentleman that said, this cannot be Paul. I cannot reconcile that a Christian who's planting and leading churches could ever write this. This must have been either Paul before conversion, broken, sinful Paul, but he couldn't reconcile that a Christian could struggle like Paul struggled. And I, I read through it again with him, and I asked him about his own personal journey. I mean, let me tell, you tell me, do you struggle with any of these things as a Christian that, that has faith in Christ Have you ever felt like I have nothing good that dwells in me that is in my flesh? For I have have the desires to do what is right, but I I don't have the ability. How many of us have the best intentions to do everything that Christ calls us to, but we we kind of always fall short, we don't quite get there, and we live with that frustration or disappointment? For I do not do the good I want, but I do the evil. I have all these good intentions, but I end up doing the wrong thing. I want to say the good things, but I say the bad things. I want to give the, the right things the way Christ calls me to, but I end up giving to, to the wrong. How many of us can say in our lives that we find evil or temptation or sin lies closely at hand to our lives? How many of us can be honest and go, I don't struggle to sin. Actually, there's some sin in my life that I, I don't battle to, to step into it. It's too easy, it's too close at hand. Paul uses the language of waging war within myself. Captivity. Those strong words that he's using. Our our becoming like Jesus, our our transformation towards honor that doesn't know Christ, to honor who knows Christ and becoming Christ-like. Paul uses the language that there's a war that's going to rage in your heart between your heart and your your spirit and your flesh, the the new honor and the old honor will be warring against itself. How many of us are sitting in church so so often going, I'm sitting in church, but there's a war raging in my heart. I'm sitting in church, I can identify with all these things, honor. I'm sure if we had to be brutally honest with us, most of us reading through Paul's word would go, that's me. I struggle with that. That's me. I I, I struggle with these things, whether it's intentions or not. With its evil that's too close, or how many of us w- walk to church sometimes with a with a condemnation, going wretched, madam, I who am I? I don't deserve to be amongst God's people. I've just messed up. You know what you did, or what the conversation was like in the car. The beautiful thing for us is that even amid the working of divine grace, there is a moral and spiritual struggle. Just because you're struggling spiritually and morally in your life doesn't mean that God's grace is not working in your life what we see in paul's life god's grace is working in his life and despite and even while god's grace is working in his life there's still a struggle and battle going on on the inside and christ follower if you're not a christ follower that battle will be incredibly intense if you're a christ follower you will just you'll have the same intense struggle in your heart as you become and you desire to become like christ this is Paul's cry for help. Will somebody save me? Would somebody help me? I can't curve my own heart outwards. I seem to just automatically curve back inwards. Um, when we were small, um, we used to do like we used to play around with old tennis balls. We used to cut them in half, and then we would like someone would have like a, a chocolate or something, and we'd go, "Okay, who gets who gets the chocolate?" And we would take our, our tennis balls. And have you ever popped it the wrong way, the inside out? and you put it on a surface, and how long does it take for it to pop, pop back? It doesn't take long. And we used to play these games, or like, I wouldn't call it gambling, because, okay, well, we were young, we were too young to gamble, but we were gambling for that chocolate, it was important. And we, we would put four, we would turn them upside down, put our hand on it, and, and take our hands off to see whose pops last. I don't know if you've ever done it, but we did that, we were bored. It was in East London. <laughs> There's not much in East London. But just like you can't keep that tennis ball from popping to the wrong way around, our human hearts, left on its own, will start curving inwards. Will start curving towards our old flesh, our old nature. The only way that we don't curve inwards is by Paul getting to the place of saying, but God, but Jesus, would you help me? Paul's inward curve left him, how many of us feel like this about our faith? Left him hopeless, feels powerless sometimes, a failure, and in desperate need of rescuing. How many of us have walked with Jesus and go, I'm hopeless. I need help here. I can't do everything that scripture calls me to. I can't live the life that Christ has called me. How many of us desperately go to God and go, God, help me. How many times in our lives as a Christ follower do you get to the place where you go, God, even this sin, I struggle. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe it is Maybe it is something sexual, maybe it is relational, maybe it is selfishness, whatever that looks like. You go, why can't I just break that? Ever, ever feel like that in your faith going, why can't I just destroy that and get over and move on? In the reality, brothers and sisters, my friends, my family, our hearts left on its own will start curving inwards. The only way that we stay focused on Christ is by the power of God's Spirit and by the gospel. Why would Paul deliberately, openly confess and leave this in Scripture? Paul wants you and I to know that the struggle that you and I fight in, our, in becoming like Christ is a real personal and part of God's work in you. Just because you're struggling and battling, it's actually the struggle and fight that you're facing is a sign that God is doing something in you. That when a tennis ball gets turned inside out, Against its will. There's someone else's hands doing the, the popping around. And when God turns our hearts from inward curves towards Him, it's Him doing it, but there's a battle going to happen. There's a struggle going to take place. That's why He places us into communities where we can struggle together, where we can bring hope and faith to each other and to one another. Romans 7 verse 24. Wretched man, that I, who will deliver me from this body? I look within myself and I find absolutely nothing that is not wretched. This is one commentator. Paul could have said this. I look, when my heart curves in towards my inside, towards honor's flesh, I look within myself and I find absolutely nothing that is not wretched, depraved, and totally self-absorbed. I need deliverance from someone other than me. I need deliverance from someone other than me. Remember that old song that we used to sing? If you're an old church person, you'll know this turn your eyes upon jesus turn your eyes upon jesus it's like paul is like hey i need to turn my eyes upon jesus i need to take my eyes off myself i need to stop belly is it belly button gazing or navel gazing i need someone to turn my eyes towards christ and paul if paul cried out and asked for help how much more do you and i not need to cry out for help I, I, how do i say this in a kind way Um, As a pastor, the most frustrating thing as a pastor is knowing that people are struggling and battling and facing these challenges, but pretending and performing to try and cover up that that's going on in their lives. As beautiful as you are, well-dressed for a Sunday morning, as you're seated here holding your husband and wife's hand and everything looks good, I know that inside of us, this war and struggle is going on. And what's, what, as a, uh, let me just speak as a pastor. It would be my dream for people to get to the place where they're so secure and confident in Christ, where they can confess and say, I'm struggling, I'm battling. Will you walk with me? Will you help me? Not just pastors, a community. A community that says, hey, I'm not the, I'm not the champion. I'm not perfect. I'm an everyday guy fighting the same battles that everybody else fights. Would you walk with me? Would you, can, can I invite you into my mess? In some ways, Paul is crying out and saying, someone, would you step into my messed up heart? Because my inward curved heart is not going to help me. It is going to drive me insane. And then something miraculous happens in verse 25. But then the gospel captures Paul's gaze and his heart turns outwards towards Jesus' righteousness, not his own. Then all of a sudden he says, thanks be to God for what Christ has done. And then Romans 8 follows, this amazing, Romans 8, the rock of our theology, the rock of our salvation. Christ holding on us, us, never leave you, never forsake you, free from condemnation. This is what Romans 8 follows that. The same passage is followed by Romans 8 for us. Thanks be to God, there is no more condemnation for those who are in Christ. This is the same Paul. What has happened? Did he just pull himself by the socks and go, hey Paul, remember what you wrote in chapter 7 or in chapter 6? No, no, this is God's Spirit helping Paul remind him of the gospel. And Paul then expresses gratitude to God. He says, whose work in Christ is complete. But Paul also notes the moral struggle that's going on 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 the inside. The The gospel message sustains us, the gospel sustains you and I. You and I never graduate from the gospel. Christianity 101, we confess, we believe, and we receive forgiveness. We confess, we believe, and we keep going until the day Jesus returns. And we can see what Paul is doing here. He's not wallowing in his lack of self-righteousness. His eyes turn towards Jesus saying, because of what Christ has done, there's no condemnation. But if I look on the inside, I am full of condemnation. He's just written eight verses of condemning his own life, his own flesh, his own miserable struggles. And then his eyes turns to Jesus and he goes, there is no condemnation on me because of what Christ has done. His eyes turn off Paul and onto Christ. You and I can't turn our own eyes towards Christ. If you're not a believer, if you're not a Christ follower this morning, you're just checking our church. And if there's a glimpse in you saying, I want to be a better man or woman, I want to, I want to, I want to do my best for God, I want to say to you, the best place to start is just to owning where you are in your mess and saying, God, I help you. Just like Paul said, God, would you help me? I can't curve my heart outwards towards you. You can only do this for me. And in Christ, there's a very real struggle and war going on. But in Christ, there's also no condemnation. Hey, look, I'm struggling. Can, you, can we talk about this? And Luke's saying, what? You? Never. Hey, <laughs> I I, I can't believe that you did that. Maybe there should be a little less shock in the church around the messiness that we live in. But let me just give you a quick journey. Look, what time do we land? Sorry, I didn't even ask. Are you sure? Five minutes? Better. (laughs) This is so kind. Five minutes. Let me just show you what happens in Paul's life here. And this is to encourage all of us. Literally a year before Paul wrote this letter, and he he penned this, this is what he wrote about the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, Paul writes this, And we all with unveiled faces beholding the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from one degree to the, from glory to the other. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. A year before he penned Romans 7, Paul was saying this. Hey guys, we are all being changed from glory to glory. God's Spirit is changing us. God's Spirit is turning our hearts towards Jesus. God's Spirit is doing something we can't do. A year before this. A year later he writes Romans 7. Wretched man am I. I'm a wreck. Don't come near me. I can't even obey half the stuff I want to do for Jesus. I need help. A year later. Then a year and a half, two years later, he writes in Philippians 1 verse 6, being confident. This is not confident Paul in Romans 7. In, in Philippians 1 verse 6, he says, Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it to completion until the day Christ returns. Paul goes from, hey, God is changing us. Romans 7, a year later, no, I don't think God's changed anything. I'm a wreck. Please, somebody help me. And a year and a half later, he goes, I'm so confident that God has started the work in me. will finish it. Ever feel like your journey's been a bit like that? Like the one minute, yeah, God's doing a thing. No, God's not near me. God don't, why would God even touch on his life? And the next time, he's saying, I'm, I'm so confident God is going to finish the work he started in me. I read that, and I go, huh. There's hope for me. There's hope for honor as a husband, as a father, as a friend, just as a normal dude. Like, there's hope for honor. But the hope's not on the inside of honor. The hope's not when honor looks at his own life. The hope is when God's spirit, by the power of the gospel, turns my eyes towards Jesus. And I look at what he's done, I go, now I can be secure. Now I can be confident. Because he started the work in me. He will finish the work in me. Paul Tripp says there's no human weakness. Can stop the march of a personally redeeming and cosmos renewing plan of the power of God. Beautiful, hey? No human weakness can stop the march of the personally redeeming and cosmos renewing plan and power of God. Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower this morning, the work that Christ has begun in you, none of your weakness and brokenness will stop that work from being complete until the day that Christ comes. You are not powerful enough to stop the work of Christ in your life. Done. Done. You you can't. Therefore, there is no condemnation. We are all struggling. We are all battling. South Penn, you are sitting next to many people around you that are struggling with their faith and following Christ to everything that He's called into. to. Welcome to the club. We know what it's like going on on the inside. And the challenge for the church is to take what's going on on the inside and get ourselves to confess like Paul did, Paul did us an incredible favor in this passage. He took the pretending, performing Christian, and he slaughtered it in one with one with one writing. Let me tell you what's going on on my life, on my inside. You admire me, Paul. This guy. Let me tell you what it's what it's like on the inside. And if Paul struggled, how on earth are we not struggling? So the question isn't, "Are we struggling?" Is where are we looking when we're battling? God, would you come? Would you, in your power, Holy Spirit, would you come? Jesus, would you help turn my eyes off myself? Would you come and, and curve my heart towards Jesus? Because I can't do it. Sometimes we just have to put our hands in the air going, I can't do this. I can't live this Christian life in my own strength. Peter and Annabelle said, with God's help we will. You and I, all of us today say, with God's help. I'll follow Christ, I'll obey Christ. It's all by his grace, all by his power. And as Paul's gaze turns towards the power of God, the Spirit works powerfully in him. It's like the Spirit turns his heart and his eyes towards Jesus. I love that passage when he's, wretched man, who's going to help me? And then you can almost imagine God's Spirit curving his eyes off and saying, Paul, don't look at yourself, don't look at yourself. Look at Christ and what he's done for you. How does that shape South Bend as a community? It is my dream for you and God's dream for us as a people to be authentic, to be real. To not be living a pretense amongst each other. Not be living lives of performance to try and impress other people, but a, a people that are, are authentic and real, acknowledging some of these struggles and inviting help like Paul did, help me, help me. I don't know if there's better a better word or, or more beautiful words to a father's ears when a child says, mom and dad, could you help? Hey, especially when they get to adult ages, especially when they get to the mature years, and they still can do everything on that, but still choose to say, mom and dad, would you help? It's very, very easy for you as you become a mature Christian to think, We've moved on from confessing and believing and receiving God's grace. I think my experience in the church is the longer you follow Christ, the more you need reminder and reminding of confess your sin, confess your struggles, believing in Christ. Paul was confessed. He said, this is a, I'm a wretched man. This is what I struggle with. And then his confession turns to belief. But Christ, there is no condemnation. And he receives forgiveness and he receives God's life. Could I pray for us? Do you want to land? to? You, you? Okay, no, just you just pray.
1: Let's stand together. I wonder what's yours? What's your what's your go to performing? Is it performing or is it pretending? Fake it until I make it? Individual or confession in community and relationship? So one of the things we do as a church is we repent. We repent. Every Sunday when we see God's word lifted up, as we see Christ we who are not like that, which is all of us, we repent. We Repent means to recognize what you believe, see uh, what, what you should believe and trust Christ and then trust Him in that place. Are you a performer or are you a pretender? What does it look like to become a confessor and a truster in Christ? I'm going to lead you in a prayer. I'm going to pray it my, my own self, but I would ask that you put faith to it as you feel it's appropriate. Christ, I come to you now because I recognize rather than trusting in your work, Jesus, to sufficiently be my perfection, I have settled for performing or I have settled for pretending I've got it together. And I've overlooked certain parts of my character. I've overlooked certain parts of my behavior. I've been afraid to be honest about them. Or I've highlighted other ones so as to distract from them. And this morning, Jesus, I want to say I'm so sorry. I'm going to be honest about where my brokenness and where my sin is, Jesus. Because I know my identity is secure in you, Jesus, and your work for me. And so therefore, I don't have to cover up. I don't have to pretend. Christ, from this new place of security, I'm going to think very bravely. Of something I need to confess, and someone I need to confess that to. Oh, now's where the faith comes in. What's that thing I've been pretending is not there, or performing somewhere else so that I don't have to face it? Who's the person in your life? First prize, there'd be one or two people in your life group. So that's homework in this present moment. Jesus, will you fill me with your spirit? Will you empower me with courage? Will you marinate my heart in the truth of the gospel, securing my identity, not in my performance or in my pretense, but in your performance, Christ. Your righteousness bestowed upon my life. And so I can wrestle against sin, mindful that my security is in you, Jesus. And sin will never win in my life. Let's sing together. But, but trust Christ in this place to speak to you. What's that thing? Who's that person?